0: For the word today. It's great to see so many new faces with us today. It's also great to see so many faces that I've seen once and you've come back again, so welcome to you if it's your second time with us. If you want to um, find out more about us, you can do that via our website. i just come and catch myself, Richard, one of the other leaders after the meetings today. I'd love to catch up with you if it's your first time. So uh, we're going to be uh, looking at the book of Hebrews together this term. As we started to regather as a church, um, obviously inside as we are now, we felt the best thing that we could do over the course of this first term was to start laying some foundations again. And um, Jesus says, one of my favourite verses, I've said this a lot, Jesus says that the stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus claims that he's the foundation we can build our lives on. And and so if Jesus is the foundation and we want to build foundations, the best thing we can do is focus on Jesus. Jesus. And the best way I think we can do that in this term is to look at the book of Hebrews together. So we're going to look at Hebrews together as a church community over the next few weeks. And we're not going to be able to cover absolutely every verse of it. So today I'm preaching from chapter 1 and I'm only going to do the first four verses. So my encouragement to you is to read it alongside us. I'm a bit crackly. Do Do you want me to put the stick mic on? Would that help? Oh, okay. Sorry about this. Is that any better? Sorry, you are wrong with this listen. No, it's dreadful. Right. <laughs> Let me have a stick mic. Let's just get on. Read every verse of Hebrews this term, but we are going to read uh, key parts of it. So my encouragement to you is to read it alongside us as we're doing it on Sundays. Let me just give you a bit of background about Hebrews then before I get into my text for today, because I'm realizing that I'm kicking off the series so Hebrews, who, who wrote Hebrews? Well, we don't know, is the answer to that question. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. So be prepared for people calling the, the writer, saying the writers of the Hebrews said this, or the author said that, or they said this. Um, some people think it was Paul, the Apostle Paul. Some people think it was Apollos. So Martin Luther, famous Martin Luther, the, ref, the, the reformer, thought it was Apollos from Acts who wrote Hebrews. Others think it was Barnabas. I like that idea because that's my name. Yeah, so... Uh, I kind of I like that one. Others think it might have been a woman. Maybe it was uh, Priscilla of Priscilla and Aquila. There's lots of different people who could have written this book. But but the key thing about it is not necessarily who wrote it that's important. It's what it says that's important. It's what it says to us and, and what it says about Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't actually really care about your fame and notoriety. He cares ultimately about his. And so this book is all about the fame of Jesus. And what's it all about? What's Hebrews about? Well, As we begin reading it through, we'll find there's a series of encouragements and there's also a series of warnings. And it seems to be that there's a group of Jewish Christians that the writer is writing to, a group of Jewish Christians, and it seems like they may be tempted to turn back towards Judaism. And there's lots of reasons why they might be tempted to do that. First of all, they're um, in a period of the church... uh, as they kind of, a period of Rome, Emperor Nero, there, was, there becomes intense persecution that starts to take place. Christians are being killed, beheaded, thrown to lions, all sorts of horrible things that are happening to them. And I imagine that if you were a Christian in those circumstances, you might be like, mm, I'm not a Christian, I'm not really a Christian. You might behave like that because you might be scared and fearful. So that's one reason why they might be willing to abandon the faith and go back to Judaism. Another reason would be shame as well. They're, they've walked into something new. They're believing this new thing, and they're having to suffer the shame of their families and uh, feeling outcast by the, 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 their Jewish family. Yeah? So the shame that is attached to that. I know some people who have come to Christianity out of Islam have experienced that same sense themselves, where people have maybe rejected them and, and, and abandoned them. And, and we, we have that very real thing today in our culture. Our culture is increasingly moving away from the direction of what we believe in. And there could be the temptation for us as Christians, out of shame, to go, well, I won't believe that anymore then, because my culture is saying that this is now okay, so I'll just believe it. So we could, we could all be in that position. And another reason why uh, this book is written is, is maybe because their gospel isn't quite right. So these, these Jewish believers, maybe their gospel isn't quite right. So why should we read it? Well, we should read it because it will help us to get the gospel right. It will help us to understand Jesus and it should give us a sense of confidence and faith to live the Christian life in a world that might be against us. Does that make sense? It's a good book to read, and so that's why we are doing it. So let's just read verses one to four of Hebrews, uh, verses one to four. So long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also created the worlds. He is a reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The first four verses of Hebrews kind of get straight into it, don't they? There's no sort of introduction here. Long ago! sort of starts off, straight away it comes into it. It's really interesting that the whole book, you could read it in one sitting and it almost sounds a little bit like a preach or a series of preaches on the same topic. And these first four verses actually explain what the whole book is about in kind of classic Jewish preaching style. So Jewish preachers would have started their preach by saying everything they were going to say very concisely and then they would have expanded it. And that's what we get here in these first four verses. And in the first thing that the, 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 the author says is that long ago God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us through a son. He spoke to us through messengers, but now he sends his son. It reminds me of, uh, the, there's a parable in Luke 20. Jesus told these par- parables, stories, that taught a de- deeper meaning. Okay, so if you don't know what a parable is. so Jesus told this parable in Luke 20, and it's, it's the story about a, a vineyard owner and the vineyard owner um, decides that he's going to go off on a long journey, and he doesn't want to leave his vineyard just to go to rack and ruin. So what he does is he rents it out to some people. And it seems to be that within the agreement that they've had, the rental agreement they've got, that when the harvest time comes, the owner can take some of the produce. So anyway, harvest time comes, and the workers have been busy, the, the grapes have grown, and the, the, the owner sends a messenger. And the messenger comes to the vineyard, and the owners of the vineyards, sorry, the, the tenants of the vineyard beat and kill the messenger. It's a bit outrageous, isn't it? They've just hired this vineyard and they kill the messenger. We're not going to give you anything. We're not going to listen to you. So the owner sends another messenger. Lo and behold, they do exactly the same thing to the second messenger. They beat and kill the messenger. So the owner sends his son and the son comes. And the tragic thing about the story that Jesus tells is that they kill him as well. And Jesus is pointing towards himself in that. And Jesus is saying, look, God has sent prophets, messengers, but you didn't listen to them. And now he's sending me, his son. Are you going to listen to me? There's a key question here right at the start of Hebrews for all of us. Are we going to listen to Jesus? Are we going to listen to what he has to say? And there's an interesting thing, though, about the son. Okay? And this is the key thing I want to talk about today. There's an interesting thing about the son here. The son of God, as presented here, is not like a human son. So my son, Jude, is half of my genetic DNA and he's half of Claire's. So he's half of the father. Does that make sense? Yeah, the same that I'm half of Graham or you're half of either one of your biological parents, whoever that is. It's true of all of us. Jesus isn't half of God. Okay, And to, to, to think such is to, is to completely get Jesus's character wrong. If we were going to draw a circle, Jesus is both fully human in that circle, and fully divine in that circle. He's not half and half. Does that make sense? Really, you have to understand that, um, because if you don't, you end up, end up wandering off into all sorts of errors. And it's interesting that the author to the Hebrews notices that's going to be a problem, and so they go on to say this at the start of verse 3. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. Jesus isn't half the Father. He's not genetically half God. He's not like, so, so you, could, you could be mistaken for thinking, well, Jesus, uh, okay, was born of Mary, so therefore he's a little bit like Hercules. You know Hercules? He's half a God. So he's got a human mum and he's got Zeus as his dad. You could go, well, okay, maybe Jesus is half a God. No, no, he's not half a God. Jesus is fully God. In fact, actually, again, I've, I've missed this part, but he talks about, the, the writer talks about um, the son was there when God created the world. How does that work? Well, Jesus is fully God. The, the danger is, though, is we can get ourselves caught up in different ways of thinking that aren't that. Quite easily, we can go down a rabbit hole of thinking Jesus isn't fully God and, and fully man at the same time. Let me just show you a few. So I'm getting a bit technical this morning, but this is all quite important for your understanding. So first of all, there was this, uh, there was this, um, there was this heresy called, called Ebionism. And Ebionism was a very early heresy within the church, and it was actually started by a group of Jewish Christians. Interesting, maybe like the, the Christians from Hebrews in some ways. And these Jewish Christians couldn't bring themselves to think that, that, that Jesus was fully divine. They wanted to think of Jesus more like a super prophet. So you know like how Samson in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes on him and he's got full of power and strength, they imagine basically Jesus a little bit like one of the Avengers. Yeah, Jesus has got superpowers. He can do things he can do things that, that, that no other man can do, but he's not really divine. He's not really God, or he's not fully God. He kind of maybe part is, but he's not really. He's been given God's power, but he's not God's. That was Ebionism. Now, a, a, another one called Arianism was the really famous heresy that you might have heard of. And, and, and Arianism was founded by a guy called Arius. And Arius believed that, um, that, that you couldn't, God would never inhabit human flesh. It would be an awful thing to think that God would ever inhabit the flesh of man. What an awful thing to think. How disgusting. There was this, this train of thought um, in, in the first century, sorry, second century called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was the idea that the, the flesh and the spirit were separate from one another, and the flesh was evil and the spirit was good. So you should give your flesh over to the things that it desires, and you should give your spirit over to the things that it desires, and neither the two shall meet, Okay. And so, some of that does, does it impact what we see here in Arianism—the idea that the, 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 the divine should never get in, in contact with the flesh. Oh, what an awful thing to think," said Arius. And then you had the, 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 the Council of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed, and the Nicene Creed sought to argue against Arianism. See, the, the key thing with Arianism was, was: was Jesus a similar substance to God, or was He the same substance as God? And interestingly, there's a Greek word, I'm not going to pronounce it properly, it's homeous, homeousis. Um, and the difference between same substance in, in the Greek and similar substance is a letter, and it's an iota. So you know, you, you might say the phrase, oh, that doesn't make one iota of difference to me. Who's ever said that? It makes, doesn't make one iota of difference. That comes from this. That comes from this heresy. The idea that, is Jesus a similar substance to God, or is he the same as God's? It's really important that we understand that Jesus is the same substance as God's. He is fully God's. And on the other hand, there's another one. And Lecky next week is preaching on Jesus being fully man. And there was another heresy that went in the other direction, which was called docetism. Docetism argued that Jesus wasn't really a man at all. That he was pretending to be a man. That when Jesus walked the earth, he was kind of just faking it. Yeah, got to fake it to make it. That's what Jesus did. So he walked the earth and he just pretended to be a man. And so, okay, yeah, he ate, but he was just pretending to eat. And the idea that maybe Jesus could go for a poo, well, that was an awful thought. That, literally, that was part of this whole thing. Well, well, God could never do that. Outrageous thing to think that he might do that. And so that's where some of that heresy came from. But the problem is with. With both ends of this spectrum. You see, if you go down the route of thinking that Jesus is, is only part God, or you go down the route of thinking that Jesus is only part human or neither, you end up with a problem. And the problem is, is it doesn't solve our problem of sin. It doesn't solve our problem of sin. You see, sin is a problem for all of us. It's, all of us have this same problem. We all know deep down that sometimes we do things that aren't right, <laughs> whether that's lie, cheat, steal. We, we've all done it before, we all have encountered this problem in our lives. And as Christians, we believe that um, God's placed morality in our hearts, but also that we find that it's revealed in in his word what his perfect way is. You see, God is perfect. He doesn't sin. He doesn't doesn't do things that offend uh, himself because he's perfect within himself. He never sins. And we sin, we cause a, a separation between ourselves and him. Sin is a huge problem for us. It separates us from God and it puts us under his punishment. You see, in the Bible, things that are, the wrong that we do is punishable by death. So in the Old Testament, what would happen is, is I've said all this before, but in the Old Testament, you would, you would uh, take a substitutionary animal to substitute your, the punishment for your sin, and it would go onto the animal instead. So the animal would die on your behalf, so that you could be free before God. What a wonderful idea. Poor animal, yeah? Lots of dead goats and sheeps around everywhere, because everybody was sinning all the time. And so... We needed somebody to turn up to be our substitute, somebody who could live a perfect life without sin. And that man is Jesus. So Jesus comes up. Jesus the man lives a perfect life without sin. Jesus the man suffers. It's why it's important that he's a man. Jesus the man suffers. You see, if you, if you were a, 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 a docetist, Jesus didn't really suffer. Well, Jesus needs to suffer and die for our sin. It's what the Bible teaches us. We need Jesus to die and suffer for our sin so that we might be free from the punishment that we deserve. We need him to be our substitute. And secondly, we need him to be fully God. Why why does it matter that Jesus is fully God? Well, look, unless Jesus is fully God, he can't forgive sin. There's a story at the start of Mark, very, very important story at the start of Mark's gospel. It sets the scene. And in this story, you'll have heard it before. In fact, actually, ironically, Jazz spoke on this when she came and spoke here in April. The, 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 um, the, the, the story about the paralyzed man being lowered through the roof to be healed by Jesus. Remember this story? So the guys bring him on a mat. They make a hole in the roof. You'd be so annoyed, wouldn't you? Imagine it. Imagine you sorry, I'm going completely off piece. But imagine if you were at home and somebody made a hole in your roof. You were like, what, are you, what on earth are you playing at? You'd be so cross. So, wait, so Jesus, they, they made this hole through the roof and they lowered this guy on the mat. And what does Jesus do? Your sins are forgiven. What? Your sins are forgiven? How dare you say that? Only God can forgive sins, is what all the Jews say. You blasphemer, Jesus. Only God can forgive sins. And he's like, yep, that's right. Only God can forgive sins because he is fully God. You see, if, if he's not fully human, he can never suffer. And if he's not fully God, he can never forgive sins. We need him to be both fully man and fully God. It's incredibly important. You see, Jesus frees us from the consequence of sin, which is eternal separation from him, so that you and I can know him forevermore. If you want to follow Jesus, it means that your sins will be forgiven and your conscience cleansed, purified from sin, as the writer to the Hebrews goes on to say. See, it says here, doesn't it, that he is the reflection of God's glory and He made purifications for sin. And now, in closing, what happens now? Well, Jesus is now sat somewhere. He sat at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does that mean? Well, time and time again in Hebrews, you will see allusions to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm proclaiming what's going to happen in the future with Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. The right hand was the position of power and authority given to somebody. Joseph is given Pharaoh's right hand. The right hand is the position of power and authority. Power and authority. And he has been given a name that is high and far above all other names. So much so that we shouldn't worship anything else, whether that's angels or Moses or the devil, anything else. Jesus' name has been made superior to all of those things, writes our author. We need to understand that this is key information for us in how we live our lives. Now, many people will say about Christianity, if there is a God, where is he? Where is he? Where has he been the last year, hey? Coronavirus. Where's God been? Where's God been with all the sin in my life? Where's God been with all the things that have gone wrong to me? Where is he? And then we can just point people to Jesus and we can say, here's God. He has come. He has come and he's made a way for us to know him and to to have a relationship with him. Yes, not in its fullest sense yet, but we believe as Christians Jesus is coming again. And at that point in time, it will be entered into all its fullness of his authority and power. We live in the season of the now and the not yet. So it's incredibly important that we understand that Jesus has the superiority over everything. And so my question for you this morning, as we close, have you got a mis, misunderstood view of Jesus? Are you treating Jesus more like he's fully man or more like he's fully God? If you treat him more like he's just, if you think he's just a man and he's not really divine, you might think that you can do everything that Jesus can do. And you need Jesus. You need him to be fully God for you. You know, if you think he's, he's just pretending to be human, then how can you understand that he suffered just the way that we suffer? We need to know this information. It's important to us. I just would encourage you. Are you giving Jesus the superiority he deserves in your life? Are you giving Jesus the superiority that he deserves in your heart? Are you allowing him to be your king and your savior? Is that where you're at today, this morning? Are you at a point where you're going, you know, start of a new term? Have you even given this any thought ever? Maybe you haven't. But there's the key thing for you this week. Think about Jesus and think about who he is. Is he the king on the throne in your life? Or is he second best? Is he just a man that doesn't really deserve much attention? Or are you going to listen to what he says and pay full attention to it? Let's pray as we close, shall we? Jesus, I thank you that you are both fully man and fully God. Jesus, I thank you that because you are fully man and fully God, that when you suffered and died on the cross, we know that you are our substitute for our own sin before a holy God. Mm. And Jesus, we thank you that because you are God, we thank you that you can forgive our sin. So Jesus, I pray that anybody here today, who needs to hear that information, maybe they don't know you, that they would be able to turn to you, Jesus, the living God. Mm. They'd experience your salvation this morning. I pray for anybody like that, Lord, they, mm. they are welcome to come and speak to me afterwards. But Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would know, Jesus, your superiority in our lives. Thank you that you've been given a name that is far above all other names. Jesus, we thank you that you've been given all authority and power. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would be with us. We pray, Lord Jesus, as we go into this week, God, that we would know an encouragement from you to rest in the confidence that we have that, Jesus, that you are are able. You are able for us, Lord God, and that we can be confident in you. Amen. Amen. Well, it's half past ten, so I'm going to close the meeting there. I'm going to encourage you, though, to join us on Tuesday night as we pray together. Um, if not, don't forget your children, your young people. Um, always gets a laugh. It's a surefire winner, that joke. Um, please feel free to stay for tea and coffee. If you're new, say Hi.